0: Welcome to Talking Shop, Herbert Smith-Freehill's new podcast series exploring the latest global trends for consumer sector companies. My name is Eve Zurip, a partner and commercial litigator in our Melbourne office, specialising in defending class actions and product liability litigation, with a particular focus on the consumer sector. Talking Shop with us today, we have Natalie Gasper. Welcome. Oh, hello Aoife, thank
1: you. Great to be on board the programme.
0: Now, by way of introduction, Natalie is a partner in HSF's National Employment, Industrial Relations and Safety team, which is very lucky because today we are talking about everything employment and industrial relations related. Natalie, I know you have a few clients in the consumer sector yourself, and I have been trying to keep up with all of the new legislative updates that have been coming out in relation to the employment and industrial relations space. So first things first, can you tell us a little bit about the current employment and IOR landscape and how things are changing or are being proposed to change rather?
1: Yeah, well, look, Aoife, we're also trying to keep up with everything that's happened. There has been a lot of legislative change that has already taken place or is slated to occur in the coming months. So um, the current government went into the election um, some time ago now, promising to uh, make some changes in relation to industrial relations. Following on from that, there was the job summit, you might recall, Aoife, which was an amalgam of um, sector leads from both industry and union bodies to come together and talk about what changes needed to uh, occur from an industrial relations perspective. Now, the government has been really, really clear all along through its legislative change that it wants to achieve a few core pillars or principles. And there's heaps and heaps of detail, reams and reams of legislation, explanatory memoranda and the like. But... I think when you strip it back, there's three main pillars of change. So the government's very clear that it wants to increase secure forms of employment which is kind of code word for reducing insecure types of employment on which, of course, our consumer sector clients are are often quite heavily reliant. So we're talking about casuals. We're talking about the use of labour hire, particularly in warehousing environments during busy peak periods like Christmas trade. Um, And we're talking about the use of independent contractors as well. So one really key plank of all these legislative reforms is reducing the incidence of what is described as insecure work. Um, the second key pillar for all these uh, reforms is focused on, again, really unapologetically, increasing the real wages of Australians, the real take-home pay of Australians. Now, of course, we're in um, a quite unique economic environment at the moment, there's um, wage suppression, there's uh, cost of living pressures and the like, and that's having quite profound impacts on the consumer sector as a whole. But um, this legislation and where the rub is, is saying, well, at the end of the day, people, Australians should go home with more pay in their pocket. So that's that's a really interesting theme that comes out. Um, The third thematic sort of uh, story, I suppose, coming out of this legislation is the continued increased focus on compliance. Now, that isn't acute to the employment and industrial relations sector, Aoife. You'll appreciate that there is a growing trend in corporates towards criminalisation or holding boards. Uh, accountable for the behaviours of their organisations beyond traditional sort of um, corporate crime, so to speak. So um, this legislation, again, moves us in that way. So what we are seeing to bring all that together is a really profound change in the whole industrial relations architecture in this system. And I think it's fair to say a rebalancing of the power, in fact, the pendulum's probably shifting The other way after many years of a coalition led government to really empower workers to really empower and embolden unions to advance their claims on behalf of workers and we've got a very busy industrial tribunal indeed in the Fair Work Commission which has been granted a whole host of new powers. So um, a lot of these changes have already come into effect as part of the secure jobs, better pay reforms which um, became operative uh, just a few months ago but what is currently being debated is what's known as the closing loopholes legislation, you would have read about that and seen some of that in the press, um, our listeners have been granted a, a brief reprieve, I suppose. So a lot of those legislative changes were looked to take effect um, very quickly after Royal Assent and the government was quite hell bent on moving that through before Christmas. But um, the Senate um, has uh, held things up and it'll be referred to a Senate committee for a report which Um, legislative changes we're expecting around uh, Q1, Q2
0: of next year, AFA. So, heaps in that context. Yeah, lots happening there. And look, just maybe to pick up on two things. So, the first is around, you know, how are the reforms increasing job security? You've obviously touched off that, but any other thoughts that you had on that would be really interesting. And then secondary to that is sort of just understanding, you know, what are the real practical impacts for our clients, particularly in the consumer sector, of all of these developments?
1: yeah absolutely well, look um the consumer sector is uh particularly susceptible to um retail ebbs and flow and you know <laughs> peaks in demand and less and so we are coming into the peak trade season with Christmas approaching. What most retailers do is um, flex up their workforces to cope with that. So there is increased trading hours, of course, there's greater demand on the supply chain in the network. So um, typically what will happen is that there will be a call for casual Christmas casuals, for example, and in warehousing type operations an increased um, reliance on labour hire to top up, you know, your pickers and packers and the like. Now, in the casual space, what is happening, I I think it's unfortunate to be honest, both for employers and for employees, is that we're moving back into a world where we were, admittedly, as a country about 18 months or two years ago, where there is a great deal of uncertainty attended to who, in fact, is a casual employee. So we're moving back to a test where there are all these quite amorphous and subjective concepts of indicia of employment, where there is a holistic assessment of is the worker truly a casual worker or are they genuinely a, a um a long-term permanent employee, which of course means that they're entitled to all the protections and benefits that a longer-term employee has, such as leave entitlements and the like. So, um, what it is doing is blurring that line. So with the benefit of some high court decisions recently, employers and workers had some sort of certainty as to what constituted a casual employment relationship. But we're, we're back to not the future, but the future's back to the past. We're, we're moving back to this stage. So what that means for our clients in the sector is that um, – You know, unfortunately, it will require, again, a bit of nuance, increased focus on analysing who, in fact, is a casual worker. And there is some administrative burden as well, where there will be a new mechanism for casual employees to effectively um, uh, notify their employer that they believe they are correctly characterised as a permanent and the employer needs to respond to that. So, uh, a bit more belts and braces and, unfortunately, uncertainty in that
0: space. And that's just to pick up on a couple of things that you've mentioned before. The first is just around those increased costs relating to compliance. So just understanding a little bit about that um, and just some of those measures that might be used to increase job security, increase pay, obviously all um, really important considerations for Mm. our consumer sector clients. Oh, look, again, there's so many things that I'm, I'm
1: keen not to bore our listeners. But if I can just pick up a few. So one really important aspect of the way the government is looking to increase the wages of Australians is to increase the ability for collectivism. In that space and so what that means is there is a far greater focus on enterprise bargaining in organisations. So a great very many retail employers are operating on enterprise agreements that are long since expired or they're perhaps operating just under the terms and conditions of the retail award. I think um, listeners would be well served to have a good look at um, what the industrial arrangements are in their business. Because if you are operating based on what I've just described, I think that's going to be pretty short-lived in that space. Um, I think there's some other really sort of direct ways that uh, remuneration and costs will increase. And the other, there's some quite profound changes happening in the road transport sector. So I was talking before about collectivism. The changes in this sector are really profound, Eva. So what is happening is that um, up and down the supply chain, and particularly through road transport distribution operations, there will be the ability for road transport drivers who traditionally operate under an owner-driver, independent contractor type arrangement, to get together and. Um, for them to bargain collectively with their union for terms and conditions of employment, but also for the Fair Work Commission to set um, what, what's called an MSO, but it's not dissimilar to the modern award system that we have for employees. So, again, unapologetically, that's designed to increase um, the wages of participants in that sector. And, of course, well, where does that money come from? At the end of the day, it's going to be passed on to their end consumer or absorbed somewhere along that supply chain. So um, there's a couple of like really clear examples, I think, for clients in, a, in
0: that sector to have a view to. And that we've discussed, obviously, we increased labour costs, increased compliance costs. What else is on the horizon or what else can we expect?
1: Oh, yeah. Look, compliance, as I said at the start, there is an increased focus on compliance. So um, one area just for listeners to be aware of is um, what is described rather pejoratively as wage theft is being legislated at a federal level. So there are some states across the country which have introduced what's described as wage theft laws at a state level. Um, The federal government is proposing to introduce a federal regime in that respect um, and to increase the fines basically that um, can be imposed on employers for non-compliance in that space. So um, a continued trajectory along this space of holding boards and, and businesses accountable for what I think can properly be described as, you know, um, you know, com, com, this is a compliance issue which needs to be on board agendas. So that continues um, to be a focus. So most of our listeners will already be well advanced in that journey. I'm, I'm working with a number of um, our clients um, in that space, but that continues to be a focus.
0: And that gig economy, we hear Mm. about it all the time. What are some of the proposed changes in that space?
1: Yeah, well, look, this is another one that has been reported in the mainstream media. And you would have heard the minister say, well, look, at the end of the day, you're going to be paying more for your pizza. Um, So again, most of, in fact, not most, many of our um, consumer sector uh, listeners will be reliant in some respect on aspect of gig economy workers. So whether that's um, direct to consumer delivery services uh, uh, and the like, but um, what is being proposed in this space is really quite profound. So in Australia, historically, for a great um, many decades, century, we have this binary distinction between an employee who is entitled to all sorts of protections under employment law, protection from unfair dismissal, minimum terms and conditions of employment, etc., leave and the like. Um, in contrast to workers who are not employees and therefore independent contractors who don't have those sorts of protections. So. This um, proposed changes from the government is designed to provide some protection to participants in that space, Um, and what it does will um, provide employee-like protections for employee-like workers, as they're described, so there will be protection from unfair dismissal. Um, Mm -hmm. From removal from platforms. There will be certain uh, representational rights. There will be the ability for the Fair Work Commission to um, provide employee-like forums and terms and conditions of employee-like employment. So, we really are moving to what I would describe as a three-tier sort of economy, I suppose, where... um, you know the gold class standard for protections is your traditional employees noting as we've discussed about the push towards permanency of that work group protections for gig economy participants i've described the protections for road transport distributor um, operators and in, in that space and, and then independent contractors so a whole heap happening in that space and um, i think it's really important for organizations Even if they are not themselves, uh, you know, digital platform providers, but to any extent within your business, if you rely on workers in those sorts of industries, I think you need to have a look at your business model in light of
0: these changes, proposed changes. Well, look, there's a lot in there. Thank you for talking shop with us today. I know we're only just scratching the surface on some um, very important and substantive issues. So thank you for um, providing us with that background and oversight today. Oh, pleasure, Aoife.
1: And um, look, as you said, that we have just scratched the surface, but our National Employment, Industrial Relations and Safety team have put together a really helpful suite of resources that can help you um, guide your business stakeholders through this journey. It's a tool that we're updating regularly, so you can find that on our website, um, a guide to resources. And we're continuing releasing uh, vlogs, so we uh, are brave enough to put our <laughs> faces on high, glorious, high definition but you can listen the good old-fashioned way through a podcast as well so um heaps of resources so please do reach out to your hsf contact if you'd like some more information in that space
0: fantastic and that you have the honors of sharing the fun fact for the consumer sector today to close out today's episode
1: oh it is fun now Eva. Did you know that the first all-female trade union in Australia was made up of workers at a consumer sector business? Isn't that fantastic? So in the early 1880s, the female workforce of a clothing manufacturer called Bythe, Scheiss and Co all decided to go out on strike and this followed the workers all meeting to establish what was called the Tailoresses Association of Melbourne and the Tailoresses Association would later merge with other garment workers union to form the Victorian branch of the Federated Clothing Trades Union in 1907.
0: Fantastic thank you Nat and thank you to our listeners